Welcome to Triple Threat Theater. Triple Threat Theater. Triple Threat Theater. However, I believe there is a more immediate threat. Thousands and thousands of feet of film consumed. Hours and hours of work expended by technicians. And once it's been erased and shredded, it can be done all over again. As all of you know, I've devoted much of my life to convincing the world that travel through film was not only possible, but necessary to survive. All bets are off. But that's okay, because you've hit the jackpot. With Trip with Their Theater, episode 74, High Stakes. I'm Joe Daxberger. And I am Ryan Miller. Millsy? Yeah. Tell us about your casino escapades. <laughs> Not a one. What? Never been to a casino. Never had an escapade there. Hold you knew, you knew this. Hold the phone. No, I did not know you've never been in a casino. Yeah. I mean, unless you count the uh, the one in Grand Theft Auto Online. I guess that's all we have to go by, because we dropped some major <laughs> cheddar there. <laughs> yeah, because it ain't real cheddar. Damn. I mean. Never set foot in a casino. Uh, I had like a 30-minute layover in Las Vegas one time on a flight out to the West Coast. And uh, I did not play any of the slot machines in the airport, but I saw them. Jeez. I mean, I've already wanted to go to a casino with you, but now it's like a foretold that it must happen. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, you know, it's one of those things I've never been to a casino and I've never played slots or played the card games or whatever, but... Uh, I don't have really much of a desire to, uh, and yeah, yeah. I mean, I've surely told you before that I explicitly, I don't know how to play any kind of poker. Yes. And I've actively avoided learning how to, because if I don't know how to play, then I can't lose money playing. So interesting. It's an interesting angle. I mean, the classic story <laughs> that I always tell is that uh, years ago playing Red Dead Redemption, you know, in that game, it's the Old West, so you can get into card games in the different saloons and whatever. Mm -hmm. And there was a specific outfit that you could put your character in that you could only earn by <laughs> winning, like, X amount of money playing poker. Mm -hmm. And I had no idea what I was doing, so I literally called my father yes. into the room I do know this story. so that he could, like, tell... Like, I was holding the controller and, like making the physical choices of like what to do but he was telling me like he for like 20 minutes he stood there and just told me what to do so that i could win enough hands to oh, earn God. this costume did, they, did that make him proud or sad uh sure probably sad but <laughs> i don't know i don't have any real interest in learning how to play poker because of uh, because A, it's a relatively simple game to learn the basics of how to play, and B, because of that uh, Grand Theft Auto Online like digital virtual casino, mm -hmm. I now understand the concept of how to play blackjack. There but, you go. Uh, anything like poker and like I, like what the flop and the river and all that shit are, mm -hmm. I have no no concept, no clue, and I really don't want to know. <laughs> oh, all right. I mean, I'm say it right now you know put it in the uh, library of congress that i'll get you into a casino one of these days <laughs> just put those i mean i understand that the buffets are usually pretty i mean yeah pretty good you gotta get comped at the noodle bar mills so i have to drop a little coin at the roulette you know what i'm saying 
I'll play a couple penny slots and uh, eat some yeah, yeah. eat some uh, fried shrimp at the at the at the buffet. <laughs> I'll probably pull you away from the slots, but I'll get you on a roulette table. Maybe throw a little dice. You can play. You can play craps or other ways. You might. You might enjoy yourself. I don't understand that game at all. <laughs> <laughs> Again, roulette simple enough. Mm-hmm. You just put your chips on a number or black or red or whatever, and then mm-hmm. if it comes up, it comes up. That's kind of craps is like that too. <clears throat> You'll but. see. You'll see. We'll table this. <laughs> wink, wink. <laughs> Yes, let's table it. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was an eye-opening convo. So I could have sworn you do that. I mean, you know me. I'm sure I could have heard that and just never really. But I don't think I ever realized you've never been in one. Nope, never been in a casino. Dang. We were even, Brian and I were going to go to the casino in Baltimore explicitly to go to Guy Fieri's restaurant there, but then they closed it. Shit. So I've yet to go there. Sign. <laughs> All right. Uh, So do you have some uh, grand escapades with casinos that I need to know about? Grand, no. I've been to Vegas three times. Um, Been to random casinos up my way. I feel like every time I step foot into a casino, because I'm cheap, I'll be like, this is the time I'll put 20 bucks in a slot machine and win. And then, of course, I lose 20 bucks within minutes and just like, write the whole thing off forever because I've just like <laughs> refused to just dump money into it. Mm-hmm. One time, so my old my old boss used to take the entire office away for Christmas and that's how I ended up in Vegas those times because we all just went as a group. One of the husbands of one of my coworkers loved craps, so I kind of just, this is when I was a lot younger, I was like I just turned 21 like just basically allowed to be in a casino. <laughs> yeah. And I kind of just like hung out with him while he got like all bent out of shape playing craps and he'd play blackjack and blackjack's great cuz you're you're playing against the house but other players can fuck up your hand if they don't <laughs> know how to play. And I've like literally was like seen people getting screaming matches at black at uh blackjack tables. Mm-hmm. Which is, you know, hilarious to watch, but yeah, so I played a little craps here and there. Roulette's fun because it's like totally just like so everything's up to chance. Poker, I've played here and there. I'm not great with like the Texas Hold'em side of things. Like I feel like there's so much more strategy and, you know, the whole people having tells and all that. It's like it's a little too yeah. much for me. Like I get it, but. I would always need a refresher. Like, I know how to play blackjack, but there's so many rules to, like, when to hit and when not to hit that I don't know any of that stuff that well. Um, yeah. See, I because I don't play any of these games, like, the closest thing I can kind of relate it to, and it just coincidentally you and I were just kind of casually talking about board games before we started recording, but, like, there's a lot of... I play a fair amount of board games with my game group, and um, there's a lot of different kinds of games and the type of game that I'm not really a big fan of are like kind of hardcore strategy games, Mm -hmm. something like a game called scythe, which is very popular, but I don't personally care for because it's just like very complicated and a lot going on. And I don't like those kind of games because it stresses me out. And it's like, I'm competitive enough that I want to be able to win, but I'm not into like strategy enough to like 
really figure everything out. So I just kind of sit there and stew and feel nervous the whole time. Mm. Like, and so I feel like a game like poker or whatever, Texas Hold'em, like that would kind of fuck me up and like, I wouldn't be able to enjoy myself. Whereas not to say that like slots would be my favorite thing in the world, but something like a slot machine or a, uh, or playing roulette is a lot more random and there are games out there that you can play that are like completely random. Like there's a game that called Killer Bunnies, which is a, it's like a kind of fun card game where basically there there's like a X number of carrots in the game, and you're basically just trying to get as many carrots as you can. But then at the end of the game, one random carrot will determine who's the winner. So you basically just want to have as many as possible to make your odds better. But you could have like 19 of the 20 carrots, and the one that I have is the one that wins the game. So that's like completely Mm, random. mm -hmm. And there's something about that. That's like, it's entertaining, but it's not super fun. But I really love a game. Like there's a game called quacks of Quedlinburg where you're basically, uh, you have like a a pot, like you're mixing up, um, like some kind of hocus pocus, like magic. And so you have a bag that's filled with uh, ingredients and the game has strategy because you can strategically decide which ingredients you're going to buy to put in your bag. But then it also has a random element where you have to reach into the bag and pull out um, ingredients without knowing which ones you're pulling out. So it's like you can strategize by filling the bag with stuff, you know, you're going to want, but you can always still pull out that thing that fucks you just by random Mm. like nature. Those are the kind of games I feel like I like the most where it's strategy and randomness, which is maybe why something like blackjack would appeal to me a little more because you kind of have to know what you're doing, but it's not super complicated in the way that like Texas Hold'em or some other poker game where you have to remember all the different like uh, hands to win. Yeah, Yeah, like I mean, there's a bit of that with blackjack, but yeah, there is more randomness because I even think plenty of people would say like it doesn't even, I feel like I've heard like people would, say like it doesn't even matter what cards you get in poker because you're like it's such like a game of strategy and and playing against the other players yeah you know and poker isn't it it, it's kind of like you know you're just because you win a hand doesn't necessarily mean a whole lot it's like it's it's several hands all building towards like the big hand like where you really, you know, push the limit because you think that you've got everyone beat or you're like bluffing well enough. Like, right. Like every hand doesn't super matter, but it's like more about the long game. Right. Like, and you could certainly, I mean, countless stories of people getting burned where they think burned or saved in with that last card comes down. But I think so many people would say like, it takes you a while. It would take a while to learn the table and learn how other people are playing to try to that's your strategy is to beat the other people in the long game. Yeah. Which that is the thing that like is super unappealing sounding yeah, to me. Yeah. I Same with board games and I'd say gambling. It's like, I like a bit of chance. It's probably like, I like um, Catan, you know, will always be like one of my favorite games, but there's enough chance there. And even like that version you can play where you add in the uh, modifiers or whatever. <laughs> like, you know, stuff. Yeah. I like, well, I like um, adding in a bit of chance to anything. natural disasters and stuff yeah, like that. So, that's usually my kind of jam, so I think that's with any kind of gambling, minus the money part, because I'm cheap, so I don't want to like lose lose my shirt. I would like refuse to, you know, ever dump a bunch of money at the casino. But that being said, one of these days, I'll get you to hmm. 
throw a couple fazools down on some roulette. What do you say? <laughs> yeah, like I'm one of those people that uh like recently the Powerball was up uh to like two billion or whatever. And uh like I played the Powerball f- four times when it was up that high just because it was so high. But you know, there's other people who are like, you know, uh, your your odds are still the same like why do you only play when it's like a big amount and i don't have a good answer to that it's just i'm not the kind of person who's going to throw you know 5 bucks or 10 bucks away every like two times right. a week like when it gets high enough and it's like oh this is a any like any amount of money that i win from the lottery for the most part would be life changing for me <laughs> right. at this point right. but like it's it's like there's this number when it gets so high that it's like well i'd be stupid not to give it a try right, right. And I don't know if there's any logic to that, but like that, I'm that kind of person. That's why I'm not like, oh, I need to go to the casino once a month and or whatever. Just <clears throat> yeah, it's not like a not like a high priority for me. <laughs> That's all. We'll get we'll get one under underneath your your belt. See how it goes from there. I was trying to bring me out of my comfort zone. <laughs> yep. So that brings us to tonight's episode. High stakes. We've got croupier from 1998. Mm-hmm. The Cooler, 2003, mm-hmm. and The Card Counter from 2021. Yes, indeed. This was a episode I came up with pretty late in the game. This was a, I don't remember what kicked it off for me to put it together, but I almost think it was probably coming across The Card Counter on like HBO Max and then just looking for other mm. casino gambling movies because the other two were uh, unknown to me. Hmm. So you hadn't seen any of these? Had not seen any of these. I couldn't tell you how or why, but I had seen the cooler before, that like back when it came out in like the early two thousands. Like, uh, it does not seem like the kind of movie I would have been interested in back then, but I definitely saw it. That's a surprise. Yeah, Croupier, I had heard of, and I knew it had kind of a reputation as being like a good movie or whatever. But I think just the fact that it's like a gambling movie i was never super interested and that's not to say that like i avoid gambling movies altogether because i've seen plenty of stuff like Mm -hmm. you know uh rounders and whatever the hell else right but um it's not necessarily the thing i'm most excited about (laughs) and then the card counter i was interested i hadn't seen but i was interested in because it's paul schrader and even saying that, it's, you know, Paul Schrader, as I looked him up, uh, has done a shitload of stuff. So it's not like I'm a diehard Paul Schrader fan and need to see everything he's done. But, you know, he does have credentials like having written like Taxi Driver and Raging Bull. And he wrote and directed The Card Counter. And just like a couple years ago, he did another movie called First Reformed with Ethan Hawke that I watched based on someone's recommendation and ended up really liking. Mm. So. Because it's like a newer movie by the same director and writer and, you know, Oscar Isaac ain't no slouch. This is something I wanted to catch up with. Mm -hmm. But I think maybe I hadn't yet just because, like, in the back of my mind, I was like, oh, it's a poker movie. It's not like something I'm super excited to watch. But I will get into it. But uh, Paul Schrader, complete mystery to me. Oh, yeah? Yeah. So I'll have questions. (laughs) <laughs> All right, we'll touch on that. That's going to be the last one we talk about. Uh, mm-hmm. I'll say that, you know, not to show my hand oh. too much, but <laughs> yeah, this is an interesting one for me. Like, it came up, and 
I wasn't like super excited when this one came up just again because, you know, poker movies. It's not like, oh, mm-hmm. 90s monster movies or something. But then after watching all three, this is one of the like most of the time I don't sit around before we record, as you probably can tell when you listen to the show and think about what my buy, borrow, burn is going to be. Mm-hmm. But I'll tell you that like I'm really relying on the ensuing hour and a half of conversation mm. to decide because I have no idea at this very moment what my buy bar burn is going to be. Interesting. Well, I feel like we have not had like a uh, kind of like straight drama drama trifecta like this in a while at least in a while. <laughs> I mean, I couldn't even tell you what the last one we had, but. Yeah, it's been a lot of like comedy and uh, a lot of like horror monster movies and things yeah, recently. Not, yeah, oh yeah. So this was a this was a good time. What uh, order did you watch in? Um, I watched the cooler first because I had to get that from the library uh, to watch it. I mean, I'm sure I could have rented mm-hmm. it out there somewhere, but I was able to get it from the library for free. So. Went ahead nice. and banged that one out because I had the physical disc. And then uh, I think I watched Croupier and then um, Card Counter last. Oh. Same here. Same exact order. Yeah. But uh, let's kick it off with uh, Croupier. What do you say? All right. From 1998 or depending on where you look, 2000. Because I guess the movie, it sat on a shelf for a while after it was hmm. filmed. Um, okay. But I technically, it, I think it's 1998. Uh, we have Croupier. Right, just let me run through a few things. As a dealer, you never gamble. Not anywhere. And we'll need your picture. What for? For the database. Can be accessed by every casino in the country. We have the same system for punters. I don't gamble. Ever? I don't gamble, Mr. Reynolds. Next point. Friendships between Croupiers inside or outside the casino discouraged. Relationships with females working here are expressly forbidden. We had the same rule in Sun City, but it was impossible to check. Well, this isn't South Africa. We'd know because someone would report it. Believe me, someone always does. Does know or does report. What would happen if I knew something like that and didn't report it? We'd know. There are no secrets in this casino. And you'd be punished. How? First offence, verbal warning. Second offence, written warning. That one's filed and sometimes copied to the gaming board. My discretion. Third offence, you'd be sacked on the spot. You never work in a casino in this country again. And there's another rule. You're forbidden to talk to or recognise a punter outside the casino. If you see someone that's gambled here, even if it's just casually on the street, you must ignore him or her. You're not married, are you? Girlfriend? Yeah. She's not in the... She's not in the gaming business, is she? No. Good. Right. Well, as soon as you get your license, you can start. Fine. I think another reason that I was, like, not the most excited to watch this movie, like, for years, even after I heard that it was good and, like, Clive Owen was in it, is because I didn't know what the fuck a croupier was. (laughs) Same. It was almost like, I was like, I know that's a word, but I, you know, you could have, going into this, you could have told me that was, I don't know, a, a, a blackjack dealer, it was a, a different name for, a, you know, 
a card shark. I mean, it could have been anything. As far as I knew, it meant male prostitute. Like I, I didn't know oh. anything. I actually didn't know. I only based on the card counter because the name was going in was the only thing I kind of knew about any of these movies. Because mm-hmm. like like usual, I didn't like look up too much to see what the actual gist of any of these were. Yeah. So, um, yeah, just going in the croupier. I was ready to see what the deal was because I was noticed pretty early on, like how old it was, which would have been like this is certainly the oldest thing I've seen Clive Owen in. Yeah, it's older than I thought it was. But um, so filmed in 98 and maybe released in the year 2000 mm-hmm. was basically a flop in the UK where it was from, but then made it to the US and was like a surprising not like a huge smash, like it made, you know, a hundred million dollars or something, but it was kind of like, you know, this was coming kind of in the tail end of the whole, you know, Quentin Tarantino, Robert Rodriguez, Kevin Smith, uh, Guy Ritchie kind of Mm -hmm. like indie kind of unique filmmaker era. So it definitely has that vibe. I mean, I got vibes of like Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, probably just yeah. because of the Britishness. But also, yeah, this just feels like one of those. It has like little elements of like it's cool, like Boondock Saints at least used to be, and uh, <laughs> it it has like this narration that makes you think of those kind of like indie cool guy neo noir dramas of the late nineties right, right. and. So it definitely has a vibe. <laughs> yeah, it definitely goes for like the new school kind of noir. Although I noticed, which we'll talk more about in the cooler, but this one is almost like devoid of music. I don't know if you've noticed that or any kind of score really that I like I picked up on. I can't say that I did. Yeah. It was, it was very much just, uh, I would say, I hate to even say it's like a lack of style, but I feel like it's just kind of style. It was like very kind of straightforward uh, I'm not really familiar with like the director or anything, but it that's felt exactly like... what I was going to ask you. Because like all the things we just mentioned, you know, we're talking about like Tarantino and Kevin Smith and Guy Ritchie. These were like hot young guns, like new mm. guys who like their first one or two movies were like these fresh styles or whatever. So the director of this movie is Mike Hodges. Do you know anything about him? I saw in passing, but I forget. But I know there's at least one movie, like very famous movie he directed. The thing is, based on the style of this movie, like we're kind of talking about, I would have bet that he was like 23 or something when he directed this. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But he's he directed the original Get Carter with uh, um, what's his name? Michael Caine. And he directed Damien the Omen 2 and the Flash Gordon movie. Oh, that's what 80s. I saw. I knew it was something big. Flash Gordon. Yeah. It w- It's crazy to me that he came with that, with this style after having like a long career like that mm-hmm. in the late 90s. I mean, even then I'm thinking, oh, maybe it was like all from the script. Like this was the, the first screenplay by some like hot shit like film student that like graduated and then kind of like Troy Duffy, like this screenplay just hit the, uh, the mm-hmm. market and everybody wanted it or something, but no, uh, this was written by a guy named Paul Mayersberg, who the one like kind of big thing I saw that he wrote was the man who fell to earth, which was like the, a David Bowie movie. Right. Uh, so he's also a guy who's like been around for a while and watching the movie, I never would have guessed that the, there were like seasoned veterans making this thing. 
Yeah, maybe. I mean, I feel like it was watching it, not that necessarily like bad or anything. It felt just like very like kind of like point and shoot movie making, you know, like it wasn't like a lot of flash or yeah, it's really style to it, which I mean, thinking about like the original Get Carter, okay, that I understand. Like I, I can connect those dots, but then Flash Gordon, <laughs> like, right? Like that's you know pun intended because of the name, but that's like <laughs> one of the flashiest movies ever made. <laughs> and then to get Croupier from the same people or the same guy, yeah. it's like almost it almost. I mean, the part of the plot is he's like writing a novel, but it almost feels like it came from a novel because there's so much like plot in this one. Mm-hmm. Um, and the narration feels like it very easily could have been like, well, one of the strengths of the novel is like the narrator. Totally. Kind of like um, like uh, the main character in uh, American Psycho, like, and that mm-hmm. is a novel. Like, right. It, this almost feels a little bit like that as well, which I feel like probably came out in that same vicinity, like late 90s. Yeah. Like, take out the psychopathic murder and i actually now that i think about it this movie feels a lot like that one stylistically to me Mm -hmm. yeah which is kind of a sign of the times too i guess Mm -hmm. but yeah this follows um clive owen as jack was a struggling writer and uh what i basically seemingly gets a call from his estranged father kind of out of nowhere telling him uh off saying you kind of set up for him to have a job at a casino mm-hmm. in London, which I never really got the impression. I get. I mean, it must have been legal casino, but it never really seemed like they got into what the gambling is like. Well, it's there. definitely like you think of casino in the context of America, and your mind immediately goes to like fucking crazy Vegas right, right, shit. Right. Whereas this, like the casinos that you see, it's primarily just the one in this movie. It's like, it, it looks like it's on a street that unless you read the sign that said casino, you'd never know there was a casino there. And mm-hmm. it's essentially like you go into this building, walk down some stairs, and there's one room with a bunch of gaming tables. And right. it's not like there is a buffet and like a water slide outside totally. for the kids. And it's not part of like a hotel where you stay there and gamble for days. It's just like a place that you would go for the afternoon. Yeah. Like, a, like, like a-, a bar, except it's... A casino. <laughs> yeah, it was like a small ballroom with a bunch of tables. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, definitely a, a version of a casino or like, you know, that part of the world that I never thought of or knew anything about. Yeah, same. And I just have to take the movie's word for it that uh, that's what gambling is like in <laughs> right. the UK because I right. don't really know. <laughs> right, right. I'll have to ask my buddy Chris when he comes back from his uh, trip. Oh, there you go. He's from the UK and he's there for three months right now. Oh, got ourselves a correspondent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So different kind of world. Um, it, I mean, it just, the whole thing is very British. Like even just like the tiny <laughs> ass little apartment that he lives in. Yep. The flat. <laughs> yep. It's got the smallest fridge ever. Yeah. He, man, just the, uh, the hair, like the, when he's, when the movie begins, he's got this like bleach blonde kind of short, Eminem sort of messy hair. hair that just makes mm-hmm. you think of the late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah, oh, totally. It's just like very Mark McGrath or NSYNC <laughs> or something. Yeah, very much. <laughs> Baby-faced uh, Clive Owen. Like I said, yeah. this would have certainly been the oldest thing I've seen him in. Um, I think I would guess a lot of uh, the American crowd would have first seen him in like Born Identity, although 
for me, it was before that with the BMW, the ride. The ride, so, yeah. Yeah. If if you know, you know kind of thing. <laughs> the ride was the jam. I, def- I probably still have, though God knows. I don't think I have a computer anymore with a CD drive, but... Uh, or a DVD drive, but like years and years ago, I think uh, Brian burned me <laughs> like yeah. a CD with all of the ride so, episodes on it. So good. Yeah. But yeah, I can remember. I actually can even remember back to seeing the Born Identity and be kind of like being kind of stoked he was he was in it because I knew him from those. Yeah. I don't even know if I saw the Born Identity like right away when it came out. Like, I'm sure I knew who he was by the time I saw Children of Men. But mm-hmm. yeah, this is probably this has got to be the earliest thing I've ever seen him in. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I mean he he's good. I was probably like, geez, probably the only recognizable face. For Definitely me, for me. Like I think I looked up all the main cast and I know things that they're in, but I I don't like uh the guy who plays his dad is in the movie life force, the Toby Hooper, like sci-fi horror movie, which I've seen and I have no recollection of him, you mm. know, but, uh, yeah. So he's a croupier. She's working at the casino. Uh, it basically ends up being a bastard, you know, as not, not good to his lady, you know, gets wrapped mm. up, uh, wrapped up in the wrong crowd. You could say, huh? leads to a bit of a heist. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, in the in like the like the least involved way possible, like you don't even really see what's happening, and he's hardly a part of it. It's like you know it's taking place and it's a part of the plot, but it's that's not what the movie is focused on. (laughs) Right, right. Which was kind of like as it was gearing up for that, I was like, oh yeah, give me this heist action, and it was uh, pretty much a dud. Yeah, because I mean, it's it's unsuccessful technically. I guess we could get to that at the very with the very ending. But. I mean, the big thing about that was like so the character of I think you pronounce her name Yanni, mm-hmm. who is like you know the way the movie leads you to believe she's in some trouble, she's in debt, and there's these guys that want to rob the casino, and they're forcing her to sort of seduce or at least become buddy buddy with one of the croupiers there, so that uh, he'll like be their man on the inside. But then the job of the man on the inside is they're going to pay him $10,000 or 10,000 pounds up front and 10,000 pounds if the robbery is successful to when the one of the, the criminals who's posing as a gambler or a punter, as they call him, gives him the signal. He's going to like jump over the table and beat him up. And it, but it's like, what did he have to be in on? They like all they were basically using him for was to cause a distraction. They didn't have to have a guy on the inside. They could have just beat the shit out of anybody. They really didn't because the whole thing was like um, he needed to like catch the guy cheating. But it was like the most blatant cheat ever that and like, anyone would have got that. They could have just cheated. Yeah, <laughs> right. Like you didn't really need a guy to go along with you cheating unless you were gonna like fake the cheat. The cheat. Like yeah, that bit was a little much. And if the whole idea was like, you know, by faking the cheating that some other guys will rob the place and then the cheater will be able to get away because he can be like, I wasn't part of the robbery. I I just happened to get into a fight that grabbed everyone's attention at the exact same time the robbery took place. Like that's it's a weird plan. <laughs> yeah, it's a weird plan. It's unsuccessful. 
seemingly she's still it this is where it gets a little kind of cloudy for me or i guess we'll just get right into the ending but mm-hmm. i couldn't quite tell because she makes it out like she made away from this maybe just because she set it up even though they they bungled it she still was seemingly debt free now yeah i don't know i wasn't even sure because basically the whole thing turns out like you said uh Clive Owen gets a random call from his father at the beginning of the movie who you get the impression from like his dad lies to him over the phone and is like, oh, yeah, I just started a new investment company. And then when he gets off the phone, it's like he goes and puts on a jacket and he's actually like serving drinks at a bar. So you get the feeling like his dad is like a a deadbeat lying bullshitter. Mm -hmm. But his dad calls him up and is like, oh, I met a guy and like I got an in for you to become a croupier, which isn't what Clive Owen wants to do, but he knows how to do it. So it's like I can make some money while I'm working on my novel. And then at the end of the movie, after everything comes around, you, you learn that this woman Yanni who was trying to convince Clive Owen to go along with the robbery was actually working in cahoots with his father. And it's like his father masterminded this whole thing, (laughs) right? which was a good twist. I didn't see it coming and it got me for sure. But then were we supposed to believe that she really was in trouble or I was almost thinking that the whole thing, like her being, beaten up and owing people money was a lie in order for them to get the son to agree to help them rob the place. But then they didn't successfully rob the place. I actually just forgot until just now you saying that, but he does go to see her and she like doesn't have the shiner and her hand is fine. Yeah. So seemingly, yeah, that was a bit of horseshit too. But then... Yeah, I guess I didn't even think about I it did it wasn't even confusing to me until the conversation just came up and now I'm trying to think about the logic of it all but like at the end she's happy happily with the father I guess back in South America or is that what we're led to believe? Oh, maybe. And it's like turns out, "Oh, well, we're going to get married." Um so like but they didn't get any money from the robbery. No. So was she in debt and this was just their way of like, oh, the robbers got caught so she gets away and she can go back to South Africa without worrying about them coming after her or was there, I don't, I don't know. I, I'm a little confused by the ending now, yeah, that, I, now that I'm trying to break they're, it down. Definitely. As I finished it, I liked the twist. Yeah, same. I was like, oh, good. But it was like, it kind of like, it was lacking too because it was like, wasn't enough of a, then it's, it, it's over. You know, that's like the very last shot, basically. But I like kind of had feel like now I had these like kind of sting these questions where it was like the uh, there was definitely not the entire movie isn't building up to the heist, but it's like, no. you know, it's definitely driving the plot at, towards the end. Mm-hmm. And then it's pretty lackluster. And then that payoff, it just doesn't make sense. I don't even know if it's a payoff. Yeah, I don't know. Because it's like they didn't come. I guess he he fulfilled his role even though it didn't work, so he didn't get the other ten thousand. Mm-hmm. You know, but he caused the. Like, thinking about it logically, I think what must have happened was she really was in trouble, but, and so my get my thinking now is that she really was in trouble and was trapped in the UK by these guys who were going to use her to get the money, and. So the father, who was maybe already a, like in a relationship with her, calls up Clive Owen to set the whole ball rolling. And then 
I guess the thinking was either the robbery is successful and they get their money and they let me go, or they all get arrested when the robbery goes wrong and then they're in jail so she can still leave. And that's why she's happy at the end, just because she made it back to South Africa, didn't have to worry about them anymore and could get married to the dad. I'm, I'm going to say that's the, that's the only thing that makes sense. Yeah, right right now that's the that's the only way that it works in my mind. A hundred percent that she was already with the father. Because that's yeah. why the father set the whole thing up. Yeah. To begin with. Bit of a long con to get him in there. Mm-hmm. Probably, yeah, maybe she was she was in cahoots in depth, but she they definitely put that scene in to let you know that she did not get beat up or had a jacked up hand, because it's certainly why else would they put that scene in there of him going to see her, even questioning the yeah. The black eye and the, the the wrist. So, yeah, I don't know. Because like, if she actually had been beaten up, that would kind of make sense. Like, they want the money, and then the father has this plan. But like, her whole thing is she's trying to like get Clive Owen on her side. But he's so much of like a, a straight man mm-hmm. that like he refuses to break the rules and like talk to her too much outside of work or whatever. Um, and like, I can imagine it being like, Hey, this plan of yours is taking too long. And so they rough her up a little bit. And then she right. uses that to her advantage to like help guilt him into helping her. But like you said, that one scene, yeah, it would be in there unless they want you to know that it was, that it was, that fake. part was fake. So maybe she was just trying to make sure to push him along to go with it was, that was all part of it. Even though she could have still, the part about her owing money to these guys is still true. But still uh, fabricating the her getting roughed up to make sure he goes through with it. Yeah, that's the thing though is like it's so much just about like from Clive Owen's point of view and like his relationships with people that whatever is going on with the heist and everything that's like so far in the background that mm-hmm. uh, you don't get all the details. It's not like a Mission Impossible movie where they lay out the whole plan and everything. <laughs> right. It's just like part of his story. Yeah. Of like. Basically being like a prick, but kind of just, yeah, I almost feel like I just don't like, don't know like what his motivation was, period. I mean, he just wants to write this book, which he does eventually write and release, but he does it like. Well, it's like he's struggling to write this book and uh, then he takes the croupier job just for money, but then that job starts to change him. So the girlfriend is like not feeling the same about him. It's kind of shitty how she was like, I wanted to be dating a writer, not a croupier. Like that's <laughs> right. kind of weirdly uh, like a, like a shitty point of view to have. But like if he's changing as a person because of the type of job that he's doing, that's a little different, but the way it was worded was kind of weird. But like then he, it's because he's working this job that he then changes the novel and it ends up being like a wild success, which I thought that was cool, like him publishing it anonymously and mm-hmm. and making all the money, but then like choosing not to like live large and like change his life. Right. Um, like all that stuff I thought was kind of neat. But then like his girlfriend gets murdered. Uh, maybe. They never really tell you for sure. I mean, I mean she she's there like, on the slab and he sees her and like the No, I mean she's definitely dead, but I think they say it could have been a hit and run or like yeah, that's it a, does it, that's it an doesn't give you weird a weird coincidence if not. Of course. But I mean they don't tell you flat like they don't show it, they don't tell you flat out. It's just like Yeah. And then at the end of the movie, Clive Owen ends up with the uh 
the other like croupier woman from the beginning that got fired Mm-hmm. And then she like came and told his girlfriend that they slept together. That was even weird. Like his girlfriend dies. And then at the end of the movie, he just ends up with this other yeah. woman who I thought was out of the plot because she hadn't been in it since like the beginning of the second act. But even then, too, it's like, why? Why would they kill her? Why would they kill the girlfriend? I don't know. That's what I mean. Because and they don't tell you the way I think. I don't know if they just leave it in there the way they word it just to make you think. But it's like. Yeah, the la- the logic isn't there then either because it's again he did his part. It's so weird because until we got to talking about it, it's like I didn't think the movie was this complicated. <laughs> right. Like I felt like I enjoyed it and got out of it what I needed to for it to work when I watched it. But now there's all these questions coming up where I'm like, wait, what exactly happened? <laughs> yeah, it's not it's not like as tight as it needs to be with so much stuff going on. But did, like when it was over, did you feel like unfulfilled or no? I'm not even to say I didn't like enjoy my time. I mean, I think, like I kind of said before, I, did, I it's not like um, I didn't find it like visually or stylistically like captivating at all. Mm-hmm. You know, like didn't do anything for me there. But I was like kind of like into the world and like how it was gonna play out. But honestly, I feel like kind of same thing. Once we start talking about it, I was like, geez, it's like. All this stuff is registering more now where it's like it yeah. definitely left – it almost left too much open-ended. It, it's so weird because when I watched it, I felt like it answered everything that needed to be answered. But now I, <laughs> I feel like it didn't. Yeah, and then it ends but, so abruptly too where it's just – Yeah. Yeah, it's like I don't know – like I don't feel like sympathetic for him necessarily. Like, Yeah. Because you almost want to be like, well, he got his girlfriend killed, but did he? I mean, they don't give you a single thing besides a dead body to let you know, like, something has happened to her. But there's no, there's no bit of setup or a payoff to even give you an indication. Yeah. If she was, because either, either, I mean, it makes more sense for her just to be a random, randomly die. But, like, why have her die then if it's nothing to do what he did? That's one hell of a coincidence. Because that's also something that feels like it's pushing him towards agreeing to be part of the... The holdup or the the yeah. robbery, the heist, which again I feel like he didn't even need to be privy to it happening, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I would say that you know I'll agree that like visually it's not the most amazing thing in the world, but because of the style that it had and the way that it made me think of all of those like late nineties kind of new cinema, mm-hmm. like new American cinema films, um, I kind of dug it because of that it's slotted right into this zone that I was like kind of familiar with. And Mm -hmm. I was cool with it because of that. Clive Owen was good in it. Yeah. Clive Owen was good. Like he's not an actor who he's like a name, but I feel like he's not like one of my favorites. Like I love the movie children of men, but even saying that I saw it once in the theater and have never watched it again, which is as surprising to me as it surely is for you to hear. It it is. I mean, it's a, but, um, you know, I feel like he, he was in a couple of things there in like the early 2000s, like that Bourne movie and Children of Men and a couple of other things. And it's like he's one of those guys who felt like he was going to be the next big big thing. And then he just kind of fizzled away. And he's still around and you see him here and there and things. But he doesn't feel like an A-list leading man like I kind of thought he would be. I would say he's not. I feel like he's been in probably a lot more than we would even think he was. Yeah. But, but they're not uh, like yeah. the big movies anyone remembers or cares all that much about. No, I feel like he's probably just been like uh, 
yeah, he's not like the the main draw. I mean, what's he's in? Uh, he's got eighty one credits. Like he's in Inside Man. You know, he's a maybe second, third build in that movie. You know, like mm-hmm. uh, I could think of, and he's been in a bunch of stuff since this came out. Looks like uh, he's got at least one one release every year yeah. since ninety eight. So, but it's just like he didn't become like a. No, he did not become and, and it totally felt like he was going to in the beginning, like in the early 2000s. Oh, yeah. I but, mean, you know. Sin City. He was in yeah. King Arthur. I mean, he had uh, It's probably Shoot Him Up that did him in. I mean, fuck that movie. But yeah, I did read that the person who made that movie um, wanted him for that film because of his performance in this. But <laughs> Oh. But yeah, that movie's a piece of garbage. Yeah, um, it's terrible. But yeah, like, it almost makes me think like. You know, Children of Men, I haven't seen it in a long time, so this is just, like, a question I'm asking, like, speculation, like, how big of a part of that movie being great was he? Or would it have been, you know, probably just as good, if not better, with, uh, you know, any number of other similar actors, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. I mean, I can think, like, I remember him in, somehow, Inside Man and Children of Men both came out in the same year, 2006, but... um. I, I mean, even Inside Man, like, that's a good movie. That's um, uh, Spike, Spike Lee. Lee, right? Mm-hmm. Like, that's a good movie for what it is. But, like, among Spike Lee's filmography, that's, like, that is not yeah. the thing I think of when I think of Spike Lee, you know? Yeah, for sure. Most, I, I think anyone would tell you to say the same thing. Yeah. But uh, but he's good in it. I mean, I think he's he's a good actor. But, yeah, he's not. Not that he has to be either. Is a, yeah. A leading man. But. I'm just saying, like, for me, like... I I don't think of Clive Owen as like oh yeah he's a guy I really like like he's just right, Clive right. Owen he's got some movies I like like you know I love Children of Men so yeah but there's a lot of stuff on here I've never seen or heard of but I would say that you know as the lead in this film where it's kind of small scale and it's like it's not super flashy I thought he was really good in this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he carries the movie. I mean, and he does like, all the heavy lifting. If I had so. seen this movie first, I think I would have more of this feeling of like, this guy's going places. But mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. I think in general, I'm not like a big Clive Owen fan. Yeah. Played a good part. Yep. But, uh, yeah, definitely uh, some plot holes in this one, Mills. Interesting film, <laughs> to be sure. I'll say. Cost three million pounds. I don't know what that translates to. And at the time had a... I think it was a worldwide box office of like a little over 7 million. So again, it's not like it didn't do amazing numbers, but I guess considering how poorly it did in the UK, the fact that it came to the US and ended up with 7 million was like a big windfall yeah. for that film. I would think so. But I mean, double double your production cost is still double. Again, I don't know if that's double because I don't know what three million pounds equates to, but Oh, well, especially back then, yeah. Cuz like I know in the movie they were talking about uh 10,000 pounds like when he got that is it seemed like an enormous amount of money for him and I was like right. that does that can't be the same amount of money as $10,000 then no <laughs> but I don't know same anyway uh next up from 2003 we have the cooler Mr. Cool hmm. you know he's just heading over to 14 how's the knee I met this orthopedic surgeon at Vegas Memorial. He tells me they can rebuild a man's entire kneecap out of titanium. 
Now, of course, it costs a shitload of money, but seeing as this gentleman's into us for 500 large, I thought maybe he could. I told him. I'm not going to be here after Sunday. Where were you going to go, Bernie? Where the fuck are you going to go that's better than here? I got you covered in this town. People know you work for me. That's currency in your pocket. That's fucking respect when you walk the floor. Where are you going to get that anyplace else? Seven days, Shelley. I'm out from under. Excuse me, sweetheart. What's your name, darling? Never mind. This is who I am. Yeah, that's right. I like to know who's shopping it around in my neighborhood. So, darling, what you do is you be in my office first thing tomorrow morning if you want to continue to work here at the Shangri-La, and you and I will go over the rules together. And I also want you to bring me a clean bill of health. All right, my dear? Okay. All right. Thank you. How'd you like to birdie that hole, huh? <laughs> you say the word, she's all yours. Anytime, I'll keep a running tab for you. <laughs> what? <laughs> she's not your type, what are you kidding me? I gotta go. Things are heating up on 14. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, like I said, I had seen this before. All I really could have told you was that it was William H. Macy. Like, I forgot that uh, uh, Alec Baldwin was in it. Mm-hmm. And I knew that the idea was that, like, I could have told you that the idea of a cooler is someone who is bad luck. So, like, when he walks up to your table, you're going to lose. That's all I remembered. Mm, um, like okay. I said, I know I saw it, but I, I can't imagine what the circumstances were of me seeing this movie back in, like, 2003 or four. With this, um, where Croupier was... Uh to me like devoid a bit of style this one is like uh dumping it on with the the old very noir score and a lot of uh saxophone and Mm -hmm. you know old feeling like old vegas even though it was 2004 2003 Mm -hmm. definitely definitely different different feeling altogether the crazy thing is this one has like kind of a classic feel like classic mm-hmm. filmmaking it's not again like super flashy but it just feels like again uh croupier gave off that vibe of like this is a hot shot young 20s like guy making his first movie whereas this feels like this would be the like 50 year old veteran director or writer or whatever mm-hmm. but it's kind of the opposite like i don't know how old director wayne kramer and writer frank Hanna were when they made the movie but this was like the first like thing for them. Like it kind of started their careers off from what I was reading and neither of them really went anywhere. Amazing. Uh, mm-hmm. the director made a movie called mind hunters and then made a movie called running scared with Paul Walker, which is like a crazy action movie. And the writer went on to write a couple of Steve Austin vehicles, damage and hunt to kill. <laughs> Okay. Which none of that sounds like it would be from the people who made the fucking cooler. <laughs> no, not even. Yeah. Not even. It's like you mentioned, William William H. Macy is the cooler. And he's basically, not that it doesn't lead you to believe, but almost supernaturally unlucky. Yeah. That he could. The thing I want to know is, is that. Is the idea of a cooler like an actual thing in gambling? Like if you were to, you know, without this movie's existence, like is that a term that people would use in a casino or was that something made up for this movie? 
because it feels like something that would almost be like, oh, people who gamble are like superstitious. And like if they have that feeling about someone, they'll leave the table because they feel like that guy's a cooler or something. Mm-hmm. Like, But I don't I don't know, actually. Uh, I didn't think to look that up. But yeah, uh, same here. I don't know. Um, the only thing I can like quickly think of would be like, um, I don't know how it works when like they bring in. You see it a lot in. um croupier where they like change dealers out mm-hmm. and i don't know if that's a thing like if someone's running hot they'll change a dealer out because like think that maybe will cool things off you know or people will think they're hot if they got a hot dealer going. i mean i've know? gotten the impression from movies and again it could all just be bullshit movie stuff because i don't know uh but mm-hmm. i've gotten the impression from some movies that like if someone is like on a hot streak at a table and they're even maybe watching through the security cameras and think that the person could be cheating somewhere or whatever, that they will change out the dealer to bring in like a more seasoned dealer that would like be able to spot cheating or, or something better. I don't know that that's just an impression I've gotten from watching Mm. movies that take place in casinos. Yeah. I don't know. Um, Maybe, or I think, yeah, I would think, if you are a dealer, you're there. They're definitely uh, strict about who they let actually be the dealer. So I would almost want to think that like they're all at like a certain level of skill. But yeah, um, yeah, I don't know. These are the things I just do not know because I have never been in a casino. <laughs> mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, the idea here is basically that uh, it takes place in Las Vegas, and as we were kind of referencing earlier most of the Las Vegas casinos are like these big flashy, it's almost like a theme park with, with gambling where there's like mm-hmm. roller coasters and like hotels and uh, buffets and pools and shit. And j- just like to keep people there. And um, so the idea here is that there's this casino called the golden Shangri-La, I think is what it's called. Yep. And Alec Baldwin runs it and he's not like a super old guy, but he's like old school and likes the way that Vegas used to be before it turned into this like huge tourist attraction, Disneyland kind of place. And um, they're bringing in this kind of young gun guy played by uh, Ron Livingston, the main character from Office Space, who is like has all these ideas about how they can update the casino and um and Alec Baldwin doesn't want to do that. And like kind of the ace up his sleeve that he feels helps him keep his casino running like competitively with the other ones, even though he doesn't have all the glitz and glamor is that, uh, William H. Macy plays this guy who's just such bad luck that, you know, he can send him to a table if someone's doing well and they'll immediately lose. And he's kind of an indentured servant. Like he owes Alec Baldwin a bunch of money, and so he's basically been forced to work there for like six years, just mm-hmm. cooling tables. And right. he's just, he's like one week away from paying Alec Baldwin back through, you know, his service. And he's like, as soon as I'm done, I'm out of here. And, um, coincidentally right then this like attractive, but not like, you know, gorgeous supermodel waitress starts to show an interest in him. And they begin a relationship, and what you eventually find out is that Alec Baldwin was paying her to kind of be a reason to keep William H. Macy around. Like, if if he likes this girl, maybe he won't leave Vegas and he'll stay in his job. Um, but then she actually does fall in love with him, and it's, the weird supernatural thing is like, 
William H. Macy's just a sad sack piece of shit, and so he's always bad luck. But then as soon as he, like, has a relationship with this woman and he's actually happy, all of a sudden he's good luck. And so it's like his powers have turned the other way. Yeah, that's pretty much it. And um, I can still say I enjoyed this, but I almost find that bit of it so absurd that it's like <laughs> it. I can't. I don't know to say if it ruins it for me or not because I like Alec Baldwin in this, and I can see like someone that being like crazy old school, like pretty much tied to the mob, but that's that's mm-hmm. starting to change in Vegas. But he still is. His casino still is, and like holding on to these old ways and this idea that there could be something like a cooler, like someone that would ruin anyone's luck by their presence. Mm-hmm. And I think like that's enough. To think like, like to me, it's almost like a better story of just like uh, Alec Baldwin maybe just being like so like almost de- delusional and superstitious to like old Vegas that it he doesn't even know for sure if it works or not. But just in his head to keep to keep someone that he's designated a cooler around, yeah, is what is what keeps it going so well. But when the movie plays it like literally that it works a hundred percent of the time, yeah. And then also switches gears because he's in love, but they don't play it like the movie doesn't play it like uh, whimsical or anything. It's just like yeah, it's like flipping. Yeah, it's a, switch a pretty dark and like morose movie, but with yeah. this weird like I'm so in love with my lady luck that now right. I'm giving out positive vibes and people win around yeah. me, and everyone's winning, and everyone's noticed. Like Ron Livingston notices it, Alec yeah. Baldwin notices it immediately, like. <laughs> People are starting to get threatened and beat up. And I was just like, it was almost, it was too, like that bit of it was too on the nose for me. It was like too, kind of, I guess it maybe it did ruin it for me, Millsy. It's know. a little it's whimsical. Like, I, I have yeah, to agree it, with you. I think that the better way to go would have been to pretty much keep the movie exactly the same, except the whole like when he's in love, he's good luck thing. Like, leave it questionable like is he actually effective or isn't he Mm -hmm. and you know he maybe believes it's true that he's bad luck for people because he's had such shitty luck in his life or whatever and he's so downtrodden and you know you can still have that element of he's about to pay back his debts so he wants to leave and alec baldwin has this girl show interest to keep him around without having the element of when she's with him he's you know good luck It could just be like now she's actually in love with him and she admits that she was being paid and so they want to leave and Alec Baldwin's now pissed that his plan blew up in his face. Right. Like that's enough. Yeah. It could have worked without that weird mystical (laughs) fantasy element. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. I mean the the thing like it it really – it doesn't even really affect the movie all that much until the very end when it's like – he stand, finally stands up to Alec Baldwin and um, he's found himself in another $150,000 worth of debt, which makes it feel like, well, he's going to be an indentured servant again. But then he like goes to one of the tables because he's in love. He's like, now I have good luck and just like wins $150,000 worth of money from Alec Baldwin's old own casino so he could pay him back. Like that's the kind of fantasy feel good ending that they'd have to find another way to wrap the movie up but i think they probably could have (laughs) yeah or even just not even even like just him walking out and not even telling you like what happened like did he win did he lose album just let him go regardless like Mm -hmm. 
then it then it turns into you know the other head guy of the casino you know he gets uh yeah he's like pops up in the back of alec baldwin's car yeah. and shoots him like shoots fucking good fellas yeah and then there's a the, the cops come to kill william h macy and his girl yeah that cop but like i but again that's like who sent who sent him and again, he had like good luck because a drunk driver just happened to hit the cop as he was about right. to execute them. Like right. that, that definitely. If the the climax in the casino wasn't too much, that definitely takes it too far for me. Yeah, for sure. It just kind of it, it it blew it because it was just like yeah. And again, the, the 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 vibe of the movie does not match any of that kind of whimsical idea of. Like this could have been a romantic comedy with the way he plays up the sad sack to to lucky bastard vibe, but the movie isn't that at all. Yeah, it's just it, it it's weird how it is like really dark and somber. Like the whole uh, Paul Sorvino plays like yes. this aging crooner who's addicted to heroin and ends up dying in the movie, and you find out that Alec Baldwin. Basically like facilitated forced, it. Essentially forced him to OD so that he could like go out, like I guess on top without fading into obscurity, which he views as like a a noble thing that a friend would do when actually he just <laughs> killed this guy. Right. And I like all that stuff, all the like questionable morality of Alec Baldwin and like his point of view and where it differs <laughs> with everybody else. I yeah. dig all of that stuff. Uh, it gets dark with like you know some of the relationship stuff with Maria Bello and like when Alec Baldwin comes and smashes her face in the glass and mm-hmm. like the movie even has for a film with such a weirdly whimsical ending, it even has like a lot of nudity, including like William H. Macy's nutsack, <laughs> which like feels completely unnecessary. Yeah. Like why did the camera have to pan down to show her like cupping his dick? <laughs> It's so weird. And then, like, I read that uh, the movie was originally NC-17, and they had to cut a few seconds of Maria Bello's pubic hair to get an R rating. Like, this doesn't, because of that, like, whimsical element, this doesn't feel like that kind of movie. If that element wasn't in the movie, I could totally see them wanting to go as dark as they did. Yeah. It lives in this weird gray zone. It's like the fucking, it's like Blade. It's the Daywalker. It's like both (laughs) at the same time. Strangely. Yeah, if it wasn't it's and it's so black and white. He's either completely bad luck or completely good luck. Yeah. And I think that's really what does it in mm-hmm. is because there's no again, it's back to like the idea of if just just his presence in the place is enough for like Alec Baldwin to think it works. That's why it keeps him around, even though Alec Baldwin is the one that kneecapped him and is yeah. making him work off the debt. I think it works so much better that way. Cause that even makes sense like like knowing plenty of like gambling types in my life, like sometimes all they need is like just a hint of like hope or um, or uh, just having any kind of superstition, mm-hmm. you know, and they'll justify it. If the superstition pays off or not, they'll always justify why it worked or didn't work, Yeah, <laughs> you know? So like, and that's like enough to keep William H. Macy around like, you know, if he cools off one guy, but 10 people still walk away winning, it's like it worked that one time. And that's enough for like an old school gambler that runs a casino to think. Like over like, time, oh. this could be making the difference in keeping my business yeah. afloat. But to show him flat out, I mean, they they give you multiple 
times where they show him just ruining people's luck. Yeah. Just by walking up to the table. Right. And it's just, it's it's too on the nose. Mm-hmm. And then the movie, they play the movie like a filled with saxophone noir <laughs> that, uh, I think you, the way you said it, Milzy, it's a day walker. Yeah. Yeah. And I still like it. I, cause. Sure. No, I don't think there's a bad movie has been watched tonight. Yeah. I would say that like, you know, that element that we're talking about, while it is present, I would say it's like maybe 8% of the movie that like feels like it's just done wrong. So it's still like 92% of like a perfectly watchable movie with like an interesting story and some good performances, but it's just like, it, it does feel like there's one weird misstep. Mm-hmm. Would you believe that this movie is what Alec Baldwin got his only Oscar nomination for? I do not believe that. Yeah, It's true. <laughs> He was nominated for Best Supporting Actor and never again in anything. Really? <laughs> yeah. I must be playing into like some old, to like a, you know, an old wives tale of Hollywood. I always thought he got nominated for like that six minutes in Glen, Gary Glenn Ross. Oh, no. Wow. I mean, that is like the six best minutes in all of <laughs> film. But uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I would have thought even like. You know, if you you had asked me what movie did Alec Baldwin get nominated for Best Supporting Actor, I think I would have said, oh, probably The Departed. Because, like, if Mark Wahlberg could win for his performance in that movie, then surely Alec Baldwin got a nod, too. But Right. I mean, I'd give it to him for that or The Shadow, to be honest. (laughs) I mean, there's plenty of things that I would... I would personally give him the the nomination for over this movie. Not that he was bad in this, because he was good, but, like, fucking Beetlejuice? Come on. That's true. I mean, this was like this, you know, mid mid aughts, which was the same for uh, the Departed. Was a good time for him. I mean, he's good. He's like, and again, Glenn Gary, the six minutes of Glenn Gary going on, he's fantastic. So. <laughs> yeah, I like me some Alec Baldwin, and he was good in this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he is. So like he was very convincing as that kind of old school casino boss. Yeah. I thought this was pretty fucked up, but the director actually said this. <laughs> um, Alec Baldwin was cast specifically with the uh, the punching of the pregnant woman scene in mind because the director felt that viewers would have an easy time believing Alec Baldwin is capable of doing that. <laughs> like, that's a fucked up thing yeah. to say. <laughs> like, you look like you slap around pregnant women. Thanks. But... Yeah, like that. That's it's such a weird statement to make, but like I kind of get it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but uh, he did he did sell it. So yeah, but yeah, like I said, uh, Paul Sorvino's in there. Uh, yep. He's always good. Um, Sean Hatosi from uh, The Faculty is in there as mm. uh, uh, William H Macy's son. He he must be a good actor, or he just is a lousy person because he. I always just think of him as a shitbag. <laughs> it's just the movies I see him in. Yeah, I mean, I looked him up, and you know, right out of the gate, he was in The Postman, which I've never seen. I know people don't look back on fondly, and then he was in The Faculty, which I love. He was in Alpha Dog. And he's been in a bunch of stuff, but like a lot it's of things I've one. never heard yeah. of. And then he he popped up in one of the later seasons of Dexter. He's a dirt ball in uh, Alpha Dog too, so that's probably what I'm thinking of. Like those, this would be the, you know, after the Faculty, Alpha Dog, and then this. He's just uh, maybe he's a great actor because he just is a convincing prick. <laughs> yeah, maybe. 
Maria Bello is in this. She's the love interest. I thought she was good. Um, she's she one was. of these people who's in like a ton of things, and I think she's good. But I just it's like she never comes to mind when I'm thinking of like great actresses. Right. Right. Was she um, History of Violence? Yes, was I was about that? to say I like her a lot in the History of Violence. I remember that same thing too. Yeah. Yeah, she's in Payback, Coyote Ugly, Secret Window, the remake of Assault on Precinct Thirteen. Thank you for smoking. World Trade Center, the third Mummy movie, and then more recently. Oh, that's right. More recently, Grown Ups one and two. <laughs> yeah, she she replaced uh, name? Rachel Wise. Yeah, like as the same character or same character. Yeah, really. I've never seen mm-hmm. the third one. I think I've only seen the beginning. I never finished it, but mm. no Rachel Wise in my book. <laughs> Uh, the police officer at the very end who pulls him over and gets hit by the car is M.C. Ganey, who was, of course, uh, Tom Friendly on Lost. Oh, right. He's a character actor. He's been in a thousand things. Yeah, I, for sure. I also That's fondly remember him from Con Air as one of the uh, mm-hmm. one of the cons. Yep, yep. And uh, I, I mean, I already mentioned Ron Livingston. Uh, he's another one of those guys where he was in like Swingers and Office Space, and then he's been in a bunch of things, but he just it feels like he never really became leading man material. Mm-hmm. I mean, the office space I'm sure would be his number one. Oh, biggest thing for sure. Biggest thing for sure. And that's um, 20. That's 20. Be coming on 25 years. Probably. Yeah, probably. But he is in like adaptation. He had that tiny part in the time traveler's wife, which we watched. Right. Um, he's the dad in the first conjuring, like the dad of the family that's haunted. Oh, huh. Still getting work, but yeah, never, uh, Never yeah. hit the. It's like always man. the bridesmaid, never the bride. Ooh, <laughs> Milzy. <laughs> always the supporting actor, oh. never the lead. Ooh. <laughs> and then uh, fucking Joey Fatone in there as, Fatone. as Johnny Capella. Just Johnny Capella with an enormous suit on stage. Yeah. Just looked very much 2004, if you see this suit. It's just so funny. Like, Joey Fatone was a member of InSync. obviously you know boy band i wasn't into them <laughs> ever mm-hmm. uh despite the fact that i probably could sing along with like half of their discography of course you could but um it's so funny like i see him and i don't think oh that's a boy band like musician i see him and i think oh he's a fucking game show host <laughs> because he hosts <laughs> a game he? show on uh, the game show network and um, he also somehow is like friendly with the guys who do Impractical Jokers because he was like he guest starred on a couple episodes of Impractical Jokers and then hosted a uh, an after show kind of like the Talking Dead called Impractical Jokers After Party where they would like he would host and like ask them questions about the episode you just watched and shit on True TV. They did that. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. He's like he's like a. C-level TV personality to me, not a boy band uh, singer. <laughs> Jeez. Wasn't expecting that. So, like, I saw him and I was immediately like, hey, it's it's that fucking guy. <laughs> was not expecting that. Yeah. I mean, I pretty much only watch Turner Classic movies in the Game Show Network, so I'm officially an old person, but uh, Fair. I know that Sorry. because of that. Mm-hmm. You're an old soul, Millsy. <laughs> uh, budget for this was $4 million. Box office was 10.4. Not bad. And I really wish I could remember the uh, the circumstances under which I originally watched this movie, but that's lost the time. I, with this I would love to know that. <laughs> yeah. I would. No. I mean, this does not feel like something that, like, 20-year-old Ryan would have been 
watching mm-hmm. back in the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything else for the cooler? No, baby. Let's kick it off to the card counter. All right. From 2021, we have the card counter. Who are you? Kirk Balfort. Kirk with a C. My father was Roger Balfort. Bordeaux trained my father in the arts of enhanced interrogation. Roger Balfour, that name doesn't ring a bell. Gordo was at Abu Ghraib as a private contractor. My father, he visited him there. Is this story going anywhere? The beauty of his scheme was that Gordo, once he became a private contractor, he couldn't be prosecuted for crimes not on American soil. My father, he wasn't so lucky. He was dishonorably discharged, got addicted to oxycodone, He'd been injured. He drank heavily. He beat my mother. He beat me. My mother left one day without saying a word, without a suitcase. Just... That left only me to beat. Until he shot himself. That was four years ago. So I decided I'd just get into it. Investigate it for myself. Find out what really happened. Set things straight. What does your mother say? She made her choice. Do you know where she is? No. And how am I involved in this? Well, there were a handful of soldiers that were bad apples who were punished. But those who are really responsible are still walking around out there, giving lectures at conventions, getting honorary degrees. And the apples weren't bad. The barrel they came from was bad. You know, when I recognized you at John Gordo's seminar, and I recognized you instantly, I thought to myself, here's a man who might want a piece of what I'm gonna do. This is how it starts. Just a fleeting thought, a daydream. Then it builds and builds. Uh, plenty to say about this movie, but the thing I really want to know now that we're here is uh, you, you made a comment about Paul Schrader earlier. What's What's the deal? Yeah. Not uh, not a name I know. And then after watching the movie, I was like, just like kind of looking around and just to be, uh, he's directed a bunch of stuff, mm-hmm. but like uh, written a ton of stuff. I don't think anything I've seen. Have you never seen Taxi Driver or Raging Bull? Oh, well, I've seen those. I don't think he directed. Those no, he stuff. wrote them. Those are Martin Scorsese films. Yeah, no. As far as stuff he's directed, yeah, I've seen I've seen both of those. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't have known his name. Okay. Yeah, I don't think I've seen anything he's directed. Uh, without looking at a full list, um, like I said, I, I've seen First Reformed, which came out a couple years ago. But uh, off the top of my head, I'm not sure what else he's directed that I've seen. I mostly wrote down stuff that he wrote because he's written a ton of shit. Patty Hearst is probably like the only like name I know. <laughs> oh, that's a Vinegar Syndrome release. That's is it? that's probably why you know the name. Yeah. <laughs> Aside from that's the fact it. that it's the real person as well. But. That's. Yeah, that's the only thing that jumped out to me. But he seemingly has like a lot of clout. Like people were like talk highly of him. Well, I mean, once you write Taxi Driver and Raging Bull, I mean, yeah. I, mean <laughs> I feel yeah. like you're grandfathered in at that point. But yeah, so he's written uh, Taxi Driver, Rolling Thunder, the uh, the revenge movie with the guy with a hook for a hand, mm-hmm. a favorite of Quentin Tarantino. Uh, Hardcore, which I own, I haven't watched yet. It's a movie that I really do want to see. I have for a long time. It's George C. Scott, and it's kind of. You ever seen the movie Eight Millimeter? 
with Nick yes. Cage, where it's like he's a private detective hired to find this someone's daughter who has shown up in like potentially a snuff film, basically. Mm-hmm. Hardcore is kind of like that, but with George C. Scott, where it's like his daughter has like been whisked away into that world of porn, and then he goes, he's like, you know a normal family man who goes into like the slums of the porn industry to try and get his daughter back. Uh, he wrote and directed that one wrote and directed American gigolo, which is another movie I've long wanted to see with, I think Richard Gere wrote raging bull, the mosquito coast with Harrison Ford, last temptation of Christ, another Scorsese movie, uh, city hall, which we watched Ooh, sometime yeah. back for this show. Sure. did. Uh, bringing out the dead, another Scorsese movie. So, He's done a lot of stuff, and that's only yeah. like a, a small part of his filmography, writing and directing. Yeah, so it was like a, a lot of unknowns for me, but yeah, most of those I couldn't have told you until I looked him up. But like, Taxi Driver is the thing that like his name will always bring to mind for me. But yeah, that brings us to the card counter. What'd you think? Uh, it was so I didn't really know what to expect aside from you know the title is the card counter, so you assume it's going to be a poker movie, and I mean it is. But it's a, it's a, it, that's, it's not really a poker movie. It is, but it isn't. <laughs> like, it has another focus. It's kind of like how uh, a pivotal part of Croupier is a heist, but it's not a heist movie. Yes. This is, uh, it's got a lot going on, but <laughs> it's like, it is a card, a, a poker yeah. movie, but it's not. I knew it was going to be about cards. I'll tell you what I didn't think. Ever that it would be about Milzy. Abu Ghraib. Abu Ghraib and torture. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I really didn't know a lot about this going in. It was just like, oh, it's the new Paul Schrader movie with uh, Oscar Isaac, so I want to check it out. But yeah, I, I'll try and long story short this. Do it. Oscar Isaac, uh, when the movie opens, you learn that he was in prison for 10 years while he was in prison, he learned to count cards and like shuffle like a pro and, and everything. So he gets out of prison and he basically just goes around and plays poker to earn money, counts cards. He doesn't go like super big so that he doesn't get like caught and get the his fucking fingers broken. But like just enough to kind of survive and he just moves around. He doesn't have a like a home residence. While he's out and about uh, at a casino... He comes across a character played by Ty Sheridan, who was like uh, Cyc- the young Cyclops mm-hmm. in the latter couple of Fox X-Men movies mm-hmm. and Ready Player One. Um, and that kid, that he is the son of a guy who killed himself because of like the tragic shit that he went through in the military during the Iraq war, which all ties back to like the torture in Abu Ghraib. Mm-hmm. And basically, I guess that some of this is like based on true stuff, but like the head guys that were in charge of like all the torture got off scot free, and all of the guys who were just like doing what they were told were the ones who ended up in prison. Turns out Oscar Isaac is one of them. Yeah. The picture taking, I think, was the actual real part of it. Yeah. Like they were taking like goofy pictures of them torturing people and that's what got out. Yeah, so that was like the evidence that got them put away. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, the higher ups, like a guy in the movie played by Willem Dafoe, got away and kind of like, you know, didn't exactly change his identity. But like now he's, you know, working for these defense contractors and things. And Ty Sheridan wants to get revenge on Willem Dafoe 
for being like the real asshole who got away and then basically caused his father to kill himself. Yeah. And when he comes across Oscar Isaac, he recognizes him from some of the photos from Abu Ghraib and like, hey, would you want to help me get revenge on this guy who's a shitbag? And then it turns into a road movie for a while where it's like Oscar Isaac is trying to like fix Ty Sheridan and like show him that you don't need to get revenge. It's like you're just going to make your life worse. And he's like right. bringing him around and trying to show him a good time and like paying his way as they just travel around and make money. And like Oscar Isaac has finally decided to join the World Series of Poker, which he he never wanted to be high profile before, but that's the way to win the big money. And he wants to be able to like pay for Ty Sheridan to go back to school. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it turns into just like kind of a weird casual road movie, which I admittedly really loved. I liked the whole vibe of this movie. It was not what I was expecting. But again, with that said, I didn't really know what the movie was. Right. It's not, it's not like your conventional, like no. from A to B, you know, card movie at all. It's so funny because you think about like, you hear high stakes and we're going to be talking about poker movies or whatever, or casino movies. And you, I imagine stuff like rounders where you're following like the players and the whole thing is Mm -hmm. about like, I'm trying to get to this big tournament or whatever. And none of these movies are really like that. No. Like one is about a dealer who is like trying to write a novel. Mm -hmm. Another one is about this guy who magically makes people (laughs) like lose. And it's about more like the behind the scenes of casinos. This one weirdly is the closest to that because it is about a guy who plays cards and he is in like a big tournament trying to win money, mm-hmm. but like that's not the focus of the movie, really. Yeah, it's not like uh the real payoff of the movie is yeah. barely connected to poker. I mean, it, it this one is the only one that really gets into like the mechanics of the game too, mm-hmm. like for the people to try and like probably follow along a bit to like me understand what he's doing (laughs) yep which i kind of like always like that stuff and i liked it in this i mean yeah i found this thing pretty like compelling throughout even if most of the runtime i was just like what is gonna happen (laughs) yeah like what like why is why is he covering everything in bed sheets yeah i even read a thing about that where um paul schrader said that when he was making one of the movies earlier in his career, it might have been like American Gigolo or something. The no, he was he was working on a movie earlier in his career that he didn't write, and the writer of the movie would do that, like would actually cover shit in like his hotel room. I don't know mm-hmm. if it was exactly like in this movie, but he said that it was because like he wasn't from America and he like hated the kind of drab. Mm fake homeliness of uh hotels of hotel rooms so he would like cover that shit up for some reason and Paul Schrader decided to use that as a character trait in this movie without even explaining it so there's no explanation for it in the film it's just a character trait of Oscar Isaac which I thought was weird but interesting but weird I probably same I think I end up liking the movie so much that kind of was just like it's just a thing he does maybe because he was in prison or yeah because of what his trauma he went through as a, you know, Abu Ghraib torturer. But um, it's definitely odd because he does it pretty early in the movie. And it's, mm-hmm. again, I spent I spent a lot of it just being like, what? What is happening? What is going to happen? Um, but all the time, like, being pretty compelled. I love Oscar Isaac anyways. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever seen some 
him in something that I didn't enjoy his presence and think he's I do think he's a great actor so I, I would I, say maybe uh Star Wars the Rise of Skywalker well, that's not his fault. I think he's no. It's not his, his fault, but I mean, he didn't really do a whole lot to help that movie. Not that they gave him the chance to. Yeah, I don't think. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't think <laughs> all the all the issues with that movie probably isn't even related to his character. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think um, he can carry a movie, and he does in this for sure. Like, mm-hmm. You know, this this could play out uh, very differently with uh, maybe someone not of a uh, chops as good as his. Yeah. It's a weird movie, but I did enjoy it. I will say, yeah, um, it like I I feel like I even though I'm not like super well versed in Paul Schrader's filmography because of the couple of things that like he's noteworthy for, and because again I had seen one of his most recent films, which I had a feeling this would probably be in the same ballpark of. I I felt like I kind of knew the tone I was getting into. So like you, I had no fucking clue where it was going, but like I kind of was excited for that like style that he brings to a movie yeah, mm-hmm. and is definitely there. Oscar Isaac was great. Ty Sheridan. I liked a lot. I thought it was interesting. Uh, Shia LaBeouf was originally supposed to play that character. Oh. And I think Shia probably would have been even better in that role. Yeah. But he had to leave because of scheduling conflicts or something. I mean, oh. Shia is the kind of person who, you know, that he would just like, he would come with the dramatic performance. And Ty Sheridan was good, but right. I can imagine Shia in that role and being really good. But either way, yeah. Uh, Tiffany Haddish, I really liked in this, in like a serious-ish role. Mm-hmm. I haven't really seen her in a lot, yeah. so I didn't have much to go on. I know she's mostly known for comedy, but... Yeah. I'll be honest, at first, maybe the first like, couple scenes, I was kind of, I just wasn't, it wasn't like really fitting for me. I was just, it felt like off for whatever reason. But by the end, I was like enjoying, I was like enjoying them as characters together. Yes. <laughs> you know? I loved that vibe of like, they were almost a little weird three piece family. Yeah. Where like they weren't, they weren't always together, but they were always excited to see each other again and wondering about where each other was and worrying about the kid. And they somehow had like their own like little in jokes and stuff. Yeah. And just, Kind of fit. I think it did a good job of like being almost. They talk about too at one point, like kind of like this life of just like bouncing around from like poker tournament to poker tournament is just like pretty mundane, mm-hmm. and it's not. It's not flashy for potentially being in like places that are built around being flashy. Yeah, and I think it does a good job of showing that. And then, yeah, I mean, it's. I was gonna say, but then they interject like they like you said, their little family unit like brings so much life to it that I really liked. Yeah. Man, something else about all three of these movies that's kind of similar is while The Cooler does take place in Vegas, as we talked about, it takes place in a casino that the guy running it is specifically trying to keep it like in this old school, not super big and crazy flashy vibe. And, you know, this whole thing with the World Series of Poker is that it takes place in all these different casinos around the country. And so... You know, Oscar Isaac is bouncing around from casino to casino. They don't spend a ton of time outside of the actual games themselves. And I don't think there's any scenes that are actually in Vegas in the movie. And so all three films, you kind of get a look at your not common, like not the common American idea of a casino. Because, again, I think everybody here immediately thinks of like, oh, Caesar's Palace. But this is like these like smaller casinos and kind of like out of the way places in this movie. And then obviously like the different UK kind of casino we talked about in Croupier. Mm -hmm. That's another kind of interesting connection where it's like 
you know, going into this, I thought, oh, it's all poker movies. But then the real connections between these movies are like not really the thing that right. I thought they were going to be. Yeah, because like even in this movie where it's like the towards the end, like the climactic poker action at the World Series of Poker, but it's like it's like in a function hall yeah. with like normal like convention chairs, like nothing flashy. You know, it's not it's like no big deal. Mm hmm. It's not like the televised, like fancy, like ESPN show or any of that type of shit. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. But yeah, I like, I know Taxi Driver is very old at this point, but I feel like there's definite comparisons you could make between that movie and that lead, as well as this lead in this movie. Mm -hmm. And again, Going back to it for like the twelfth time, uh, Ethan Hawke's character in First Reformed, which is a movie about like uh, religion and a priest kind of questioning his faith, and um, it's just yeah that that Paul Schrader vibe with a kind of movie that he obviously because he wrote all three of those is like has like a passion or like a personal investment in those kind of movies about fucked up people. Mm-hmm. I really dig them. And same goes for this. Yeah. This was like, uh, I don't know, I feel like at the time, maybe even just being Oscar Isaac, or it was like direct to HBO Max, I feel like there was some kind of like, you know, mild push for this out there, but I never like, kind of just one of those ones I figured I'd get around to watching. Same. But um, kind of feels like a diamond in the rough for like movies in the last couple of years, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm, you know, I kind of wish I had gotten around to it last year when it came out. Did it play in theaters or was it only in on HBO? Um, I think it did have a small release. Yeah, I couldn't find a budget for it, and this sounds like such a generic round number. But I I read that it had a box office of five million. I wasn't sure if that was maybe overseas or. I think I read that too. I think it wasn't. It got like a small release, but was like showed up on HBO Max like pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm. I mean, I'm glad. This theme came up when it did so that I'm at least catching up with it like within a year of its release. So it's not like, oh, man, why did eight years go by and I didn't watch that movie? But, mm-hmm. yeah, I kind of wish I had caught up with it last year when it came out. Yeah, but no. Good cast, compelling story, and it looks good. Yeah. So. I mean, really, the cast, Oscar Isaac, Ty Sheridan, Tiffany Haddish, Willem Dafoe, who's honestly not even in it that much. Two scenes? Like that scene Three, where they maybe? first see him at that like uh, speech he's giving and then yep. one of the weird like f- crazy fisheye flashback scenes in Abu Ghraib yep. and then the very end that's like mm-hmm. all he's in it like we're talking four a minutes a day's worth of work <laughs> yeah but you know he's one of the biggest parts of the movie because aside of that like how many real speaking roles are there aside from like oh this person is a waiter so they ask like what they want to drink or something yeah. like that that one guy with the cowboy hat that like introduces tiffany um, haddish tiffany haddish and, uh, yeah he's there for Oscar. one scene one scene like a couple lines yeah like you said there there's like the uh the dude who really doesn't even have any like dialogue per se but the uh the other poker player who wears the american flag <laughs> right USA. Yeah. USA. USA. I'll say for someone who's been in plenty of uh, 
casinos to my friend who has never been in a single one. <laughs> this is like pretty indicative of like how casinos can feel. Yeah. Where it's not like all Hollywood flash glitz and glamour. It is like kind of like, you know, I've been, I've been in different ones where it's like, yeah, it's an empty bar, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like. There's a couple tables. There's maybe one <laughs> table game where people are getting crazy at, but the rest Again, of it's just... maybe everything that I've said in this episode about like what everyone thinks casinos are like is wrong because I've never actually been to one, and all I know is what I've seen in movies. And of course, most movies are just like there's a person at every fucking slot machine, and there's people everywhere mm-hmm. <laughs> because we need crowds of people for when fucking you know uh, Matt Damon and Brad Pitt tr- or uh, George Clooney try and rob the place. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> right but uh yeah no, there's a lot i because i've again i wouldn't like refuse to like dump money into a slot machine but i've done like playing like sitting around in casinos and like you kind of just watch it and you're like you'll just see rows and rows of old people just yeah emotionless just <laughs> yanking that handle endlessly and <laughs> it's it, it's like that so this is a pretty good pretty good um representation yeah so but uh yeah anything else to say about the card counter i mean no. there's probably a lot more to say <laughs> yeah no i think we, i think we've covered it yeah let's talk some posties all right one thing i was not sure about going in was uh our posters for poker movies going to be particularly interesting mm-hmm. uh croupier i would say not particularly interesting now it stinks <laughs> it feels like 1998 it totally mm-hmm. does like for some for some reason, uh, I I guess. Well, no, it's not even. I was gonna say, oh, it's got his reflection in the background. I was like, nope, that's not his reflection. It's just that a is... weird Photoshop choice. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess if you knew what a, a croupier was, maybe you could put two and two together by the way he's dressed and that there's a roulette table in front of him. Yeah. I mean, it's so kind of blurry and out of focus at the bottom there that I'm not even sure. I I could probably look at this for a good solid minute and not realize that's yeah, a for sure. roulette table. Like I could almost at a glance, like if I looked at this poster for a minute and then turned away and you were like, all right, what's at the bottom of the poster? I would have maybe said like a, an out of focus city skyline. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah, this this feels like something you'd put like a well-known leading man on. So maybe he maybe he was. I mean, not at that point, but uh, well, I, I don't know if he was more movies over overseas or oh, something. Maybe uh, one thing about this that we can't say about most of the posters we discuss: no tagline, which no is kind of refreshing. Line. But it does have a bunch of quotes on it, yeah, <laughs> like review quotes: a diamond hard masterpiece, uh, a work of compelling. Oh boy, a plum. <laughs> Ooh. I'm not sure I know what that word means. Mike mm-hmm. Hodge's finest film. Sexy, funny, tense, cool, and enthralling. Those are the worst kind of pull quotes when it's just a totally. list of words. Yeah. Come the fuck on. That don't, like, oh, it's sexy and funny. Like, really? That person didn't actually like this movie. They were just paid to write that. <laughs> right. Like, give us a good pull. Well, here you go. Uh, I, I have, like, nothing to say about this post. Yeah, it's, it's, it's ugly. Yeah. It's ugly and boring. Mm-hmm. The cooler. Kind of an interesting take. It's like, I think it's, it's, it's a kind neon of fun because it's very different. Yeah. Different than what you'd expect. Here's a question, though. Do you think that the kind of lighthearted vibe of this poster matches the movie? <laughs> no. This, yeah. this, this, this tells me all the, the whimsy that they interject into the movie. Like this, 
Yeah. Especially the tagline fits fits that idea, but not the movie. I don't look at this poster and expect that I'm going to see William H. Macy's nutsack. No. <laughs> like that look on his face in like the neon version of him. It's mm-hmm. like, a, uh-oh, it kind of looks like a, this is a like a comedy, like a romantic yeah. comedy movie. Yeah. It's just as confused as the movie is at times. Love. You have to play to win. But it's not bad. I mean, with all, especially for 04, with the amount of Photoshop dog shit that was coming out at the time. Yeah, like, someone had a concept for this. It wasn't just the Photoshop yeah. some faces. Right. So, yeah, I mean. Points for originality. Points for originality. I mean, I dig it. I would never hang it on my wall, but uh, kudos for doing something different. Yeah, I even I even question if they should have the William H. Macy. <laughs> it's probably better off it's without that. It's kind of cartoony and weird looking, yeah. If you didn't know he was in it, you wouldn't know that was him. Uh, I feel like you, I if could... You just, if you just looked at that, you'd do nothing. If you just presented with that face, I... I think I, I should would. pull William H. Macy. I mean, I, I who knows, Ugh. because I already obviously know no, he's in it, but I feel like I, mean. I can tell that's him. Not to say it's not a bad likeness, but it's not enough, because it's neon. It's not really enough. It's kind of cartoony. He's got, like, huge caterpillar eyebrows. Yeah. <laughs> in this, which I don't feel like he really does. Yeah, I think it just uh, would have been better leaving him out of it. Yeah, I definitely think that. Still, I'll give it some points. And card counter, uh, I mean, what is it? You know, it wants to tell you some things. Handsome ass Oscar Isaac, Martin Scorsese's got something to do with it. Cards, even though that's in the name. Yeah. It's not ugly. Reap what you sow. I feel like reap what you sow could be the tagline for about 40% of the movies ever made. Yes. Like that's, and, and look how fucking small it is right above the title. Yeah, might as well just leave it out. I feel like that's horseshit that they even put that on here. I feel like, yeah, I feel like just Oscar Isaac being in it, Martin Scorsese, even the big, big Paul Schrader too. Like that's enough. It doesn't need. Yeah, I, I gotta be honest. I hate the fact that all the text there, the tagline, the card counter, written and directed by Paul Schrader, Tiffany Haddish, Ty Sheridan, Willem Dafoe. It's all so close in size it's mm-hmm. and it's all just crammed together yeah it feels like an afterthought like i wish that the title was bigger and elsewhere or something yeah or had like a different font like a logo instead of just whatever yeah. font this is or something it just it's just like oh there's an image and then someone crammed a bunch of text under his chin it does it need like yeah it's just the hierarchy of it is pretty bad. It needs it needs a proper logo. They should have just had Oscar Isaac's name listed with everybody else. I mean, even like the the suits from the the cards, it's not quite in the middle, but it's not off to the side. It's in like a weird placement. Yeah, like if you're gonna if you're gonna hi- obviously his face is real big there, but if you're gonna highlight Oscar Isaac is in this movie by putting his name not with everybody else's. Make it bigger. Why is it so fucking small just up in the corner yeah. under Martin Scorsese Presents and above right. that Venice Film Festival logo? Like, yeah. it's just, I hate where all the text is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, the, and they made it all like left justified, but then like they have these, the suits are like, it would have made more sense to have them over to the right more or something like just. Yeah. 
It's, this, it's very off. This feels like, okay, guys, we're going to release this only on HBO Max, so we don't need to produce <laughs> right. a poster to put in the theaters. And then at the last minute, they were like, shit, we need an icon for people to click on. Mm-hmm. Throw something yep. together. I I don't know. I, I really don't like this. <laughs> it's not good. I don't think it's like the general idea of it is ugly because I don't think it's ugly, but it's got some problems for sure. Yeah. I'm not into it. Personally. Break it down for the people, Millsy. Uh I'm gonna give the cooler um three exposed testes. Yep, knew that was <laughs> happening. I, knew it. I would have put the Powerball winnings on that one. <laughs> yeah, I I like the concept. Uh I feel like the execution's a little bizarre with William H. Macy's. It just doesn't feel like it belongs there. Just like move that logo with the the girl like up to the center more mm-hmm. and then like maybe make the dice a little bit bigger on top of it or something yeah it would have told you everything about the movie you needed to know yeah but it's you know it's a good concept at least it's something different mm-hmm. uh croupier I, one black eye i don't know Ooh. one fake black eye sure okay <laughs> i like it it's fitting. It's ugly. It's yeah, there's just it's there's nothing special or interesting. It just feels like a, a slapped together DVD box cover. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know how you're going to feel about this, but card counter. I'm also going to give a one. It's going to be. Uh, I would have probably said a two. I wouldn't give it that that much better. But um, you hate shitty type. That's cool. I get it. I mean, it's it's one of the things that we like to complain about, which is just Photoshop head. It's just one big head in the middle of the mm-hmm. image. Like, the only thing aside from the title to give you any concept that it's about cards is, like, some half-faded out suits. Mm-hmm. Like, card suits. I honestly hate all the text on this. I just, I feel like the placement of it and how boring it all is and, like, where... Where, why Oscar Isaac's name is up top and the, the fucking tagline is bad. Mm-hmm. It's so you're not, small. You're not wrong. You're I, not ju- wrong. I don't like any of it. Like the only thing I even remotely like is the color scheme just because red and black is okay together. But I even fucking pull out on the Oscar Isaac, like do a bust shot, not just his head smack dab in the middle, <laughs> like with his hair, his dark hair fading into the background. So it's just like his face. I, it, I just don't like it. <laughs> I don't like anything about this. It feels it feels as thoughtless as the croupier one to me. Wow. Like, I really don't see that much of a difference. Like, the croupier one, it's like so, kind of fade out the image a little bit at the bottom and, like, just duplicate him over on the side for no good reason as a design element. This is like, okay, slap a head on, throw the suits on as a design element, don't really give a shit about the... Like, even the, the logo on croupier is, like, a more interesting font, a brighter color, and it's mm-hmm. bigger than the one on the card counter, which just feels like it blends into the names down there. Yeah, I think uh, this is probably, from what I can think of, probably like the number one poster we've seen where it, it doesn't even have a logo. Yeah. Like, I wouldn't even consider that a logo. Yeah, it's just, it's so close in size to everything else that mm-hmm. I just don't know why you don't make that logo, the, the title, the full width of the poster above his head and and like move the Martin Scorsese stuff elsewhere. Like yeah. the Martin Scorsese thing real small above the title or something. Totally. Like Martin mm-hmm. Scorsese presents belongs above the, the title, not yeah. that shitty tiny tagline. 
No, I'm with you. Everything is like so crammed over to the left of this poster where the 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 right third of this poster is blank space. It's just his ear. His ear. Yeah, it just doesn't, <laughs> yeah. doesn't make sense. Yeah. Uh, so this is going to get one hotel lamp wrapped in white cloth <laughs> with twine <laughs> from me. <laughs> I love anyone that listening is just like, oh, maybe I'd have to see this now. What's with the twine? Good luck. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I'm not, not super thrilled overall here. The cooler, nice attempt, not the mm-hmm. best uh, execution, but... I'm with you. Yeah. Mills. Mm-hmm. Buy one, borrow one, burn one. Yeah. Um, I feel like uh, I feel like the conversation did it. I feel like I know where I am. Mm, I like it. Give, it. give it to the people. All right. Um, I'm going to... <sighs> And again, I I enjoyed all these. Um, I honestly did. Like, Same. The point that I was kind of half trying to make at the beginning of the show is like I went in not like super excited just because it's like, oh, poker movies. Okay, not really my thing. But like all three of them like surprised me. I think, I don't know if we come came across hard on them, but the three of them are weird. So I feel like we've just focused on more of that stuff. But I yeah. enjoyed them as well. It's just, again, not really what you'd expect from three movies being reviewed on an episode called right. High Stakes. And I'd love to say that that was my intent putting this episode together. <laughs> but like, you know. I could edit out the parts where you said it, said it wasn't. <laughs> yeah, elevated poker movies. But nope, just me probably clicking around looking for stuff that maybe goes together. <laughs> But uh, I'm going to burn the cooler. Not by much. Like, this is not a sun launch. Mm -hmm. I really feel like you hit it on the head when you were pointing out that that fantastical stuff could have been removed. Like, it was too much. Like, I still like it, but it is a little bit fucking weirdly just whimsical there Mm -hmm. in the end. Mm -hmm. Millsy hates whimsy. That's not true. <laughs> that is a hundred percent true. There are cases where whimsy doesn't belong, and this is one of them. Man, that I one love, case where it doesn't I belong love is me your some life. Edward Scissorhands, man. You can't tell a person who loves Edward Scissorhands as much as me that they don't like whimsy. Okay, that's all right. You're right. There is one thing that you like that's whimsical. <laughs> Carry on. Uh, my borrow. <laughs> Which it might have, probably not super close, but might have been closer to my buy if we hadn't come across all the plot holes <laughs> when we were describing it. But the croupier, I I liked. I thought it was a a good movie. It might require a rewatch to see if it actually holds up now that we've torn some holes in mm, it. But mm-hmm. that's going to be my borrow. And uh, yeah, card counter pretty handily takes the. Uh, takes the top spot as my buy i like it just a a style of movie that i enjoy with a really strong uh lead performance and Mm -hmm. um you know took me by surprise a little bit so well done yeah what do you got uh for me a card counter is the easy buy it's compelling and captivating in like all the right ways with the good payoff and um would you say that it is Sexy, funny, tense, cool, and enthralling, <laughs> like Groupier. <laughs> well, maybe actually. I don't know how funny it is, but <laughs> no, yeah, uh, but yeah, Car Counter is real solid. That was a, it was a, 
I watched that last hoping it would be good and thankfully <laughs> there was a payoff. So nice. Easy buy. Um I'll just come out and say it, Millsy. Um we are in agreement tonight. Mm. I'm not launching the cooler into the sun, but every bit of the fantastical whimsy of that man's bad luck takes me out of the movie at all mm-hmm. times to the point where it's like, I don't even, I can't take the serious parts of it serious because of how on the nose they treat his, his cool quote unquote. Yeah. Croupier is a good time. Again, it's feel, it feels, again, I'll just, the best way for me to describe is very just like point and shoot filmmaking. Like here is, all the bits of plot you have to see, decent enough cast, crazy kind of story, you know. It's got some plot holes for days, but um, <laughs> still entertaining. So nice. that's going to be my borrow. Something I was thinking, I forgot to mention before, while watching Croupier is, uh, unless this is the way that UK casinos are all set up, I'm not sure why you would choose to film in a room, like the the key room is covered in mirrors. It must have been so hard for them to film just like standard poker scenes yeah. in that room without getting the camera or like right. the sound guy in the frame. Yeah, I never really noticed how much they, sh- besides like the wide shots, because they almost even looked like funhouse mirrors at some points. So mm-hmm. they're all like, yeah, like angled all over the place. Yeah, they, they must just, have had to have been very conscious of yeah, like tight shots without mirrors in the background. Yeah, it's a good point. I just can't because it wasn't. I kept waiting for it to be part of the plot for like the uh, the casino manager to mention in passing that like they have the mirrors there too make people self-conscious of like hiding things up their sleeves or whatever, because there's so many angles they could be seen from or something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Otherwise I don't know why you would choose to film in a place like that unless there's a reason within the plot to do it. Yeah. Odd choice. Odd choice. All right. Well done. Well done, friend. Another one in the bag. Shall we find out what uh, will be in the next bag? Yeah, I'm very ready Mills. All right. We have 238 potential themes to choose from. 238. Milzy. Yeah. 199. Relatively late. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Another Daxberger special. Oh. We have uh, the theme One Last Job. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, two of these for sure. Potentially three watches, but I'm not sure about that first one. Fairly positive I've seen all three of these. All right. One last job. I feel like that is enough of a trope that it'll definitely set people on the right path, but I also feel like there are a lot of options Yeah. in this category. <laughs> yeah. So good luck guessing which ones we're going to be yeah. watching for One Last Job. Mm, I like it. Well, Mills, mm-hmm. until then, strip of that theater. I'm Joe Daxberger. And I'm Ryan Miller. Thanks for watching. That was one of the finest movies I've ever seen. They ought to make them all like that. None of this nonsense about social matters. People don't go to the movies to see how miserable the world is. They go there to eat popcorn and be happy. Be happy, 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 happy.